Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by a very special guest that I'm thrilled has decided to come on and talk to us. Um, She has a very interesting take on something that a lot of people are talking about, um, but that I don't know that people really understand sort of the um, ins and outs of it, like how it's actually affecting not just our economy, but the individuals who are out looking for work. Um, The issue is, are people being paid more to stay home? Are they actually not re-entering the workplace following the COVID restrictions? So my guest has a fascinating take on that. She's written a really nice piece for the Manhattan Institute's City Journal. Uh, The piece actually explores that topic. Um, Her name is Megan Rose. She's the Civil Society Fellow at the Manhattan Institute. And she is also the CEO of a nonprofit organization called Better Together. And I'm going to introduce her here. I'm going to let her explain to you what Better Together is. And then we'll get into uh, the article that she wrote. So, Megan, hi. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, you're quite welcome, and and I'm very interested in this topic. So, first of all, before we jump into um, uh, the, what you wrote about for City Journal, the Manhattan Institute, um, tell me what Better Together is. Tell me what you do for a living. Yeah, so um, Better Together started in 2015. Um, it's a nonprofit. We're headquartered in Naples, but we do work um, all over the country. Um, we grew out a desire just to prevent child abuse and neglect before state intervention is needed. So since then, um, the organization has been able to help keep over 3,000 kids out of the Florida foster care system um, by matching them with volunteers in the community that open up their home and care for the children and just develop a relationship with the parents and help them be able to put the pieces of their life back together. Um, And then we started our Better Jobs program in 2016 um, because we realized that 76% of the families that we were working with that were in crisis and on the verge of losing their children to the state, the root of the problem was financial. Um, They had lost their job and small problems became really large problems. Um, And so we created better jobs. We work with churches all across the country um, and national employers. um, And we do job fairs and we help people get connected to employment. We humanize the whole job seeking process. We help people um, figure out childcare for their children, mobility issues, um, make introductions to employers that are willing to give second chances and really help people Um, get back into the workforce and find a job and all the dignity that comes with that. And so we've been able to help over 30,000 people across the country um, get connected to work. Okay, so as a result of, you know, that work that you do, helping people find um, jobs to provide structure to their family so that the children that, you know, they live with and and their own children um, don't have to stay in foster care. You noticed, um, and and you write about this, you noticed that you had a recent job fair that were always heavily attended, and and in case you didn't hear that, she's in Florida, Megan's in Florida. Uh, These job fairs that you hold are are usually heavily attended, but this last one that you had, or maybe several of the last ones that you had, um, there weren't many people there. Is that right? 
Yes. So before the pandemic, we were serving on an average around 400 people at each job fair. I mean, people would, you know, just line up around the block looking for opportunity. And then in April, in the middle of the pandemic, we switched to doing virtual job fairs. And during that time, we helped over 650 people at our first virtual job fair of many. Um, but then we just started to notice a shift. Um, we knew that there was record unemployment. Um, but even doing a virtual model with really great employers, um, we started seeing the attendance drop significantly. And um, we started doing in-person job fairs again, starting in December, doing social distancing, following guidelines. Um, and we, our last job fairs that we had in April, we had them all over the country. They were second chance events and we couldn't get people to show up. We had one event in Maine and no one showed up. And so across the country, we have all these job fairs, really great jobs, and no one's showing up. But it's crazy that just, you know, a year ago, in the middle of the pandemic, you know, we had close to, I mean, a thousand people looking for employment. So what changed? Mm -hmm. And you write about that in this article, which is a very, very good read. Um, it's called Jobs Without Takers. It's at the Manhattan Institute, which Megan is also, as I mentioned, she's a, a fellow there. And the Manhattan Institute is fantastic, does great work. And they have a, um, a journal, City Journal, and they, they write about these things, these sort of policy heavy issues. Megan wrote a piece called Jobs Without Takers, where you um, sort of theorize what you think is going on. And, and what is that theory? So it's people are getting paid to stay at home. Um, mm -hmm. In 2020, at the height of the lockdowns, Congress expanded the federal unemployment insurance. And that boost was needed at the time. But now there's jobs. We have the vaccine. And we're seeing firsthand through our other program that works directly with families that, you know, families aren't motivated. We're discouraging work. And that has really bad social effects. And that's what we're really concerned about. You know, work is so much more than a paycheck. You know, holding a job gives dignity. It gives structure. It builds new skills. It provides accountability. So, for example, we have a mom that we met over a year ago that we started working with. Single mom, three kids. She was on the verge of losing her children um, to the state, and we got involved with her, and we helped her. She moved mountains for her kids. She was working so hard. She got a home. She had structure. She was providing for her babies. She was so proud of what she was doing. She lost her job um, due to the pandemic. She started collecting the unemployment insurance, and now she is struggling with depression. She's struggling with alcohol. And now the state is back in her life and she's on the verge of losing her children. Mm -hmm. And we begged her. We pleaded with her. We were like, Tashana, please come to the job fair. We need to get you back to work. Like you're going to lose your children. You're going to work, you know, lose everything. And she said, why, Megan? I'm getting paid more to stay home. And so she actually said that to you. She those were her words exactly. And mm. it's heartbreaking because she's not, it's not just her. I mean, we're seeing that with a lot of families that our crisis lines are ringing off the hook. These families are struggling with mental health, depression, alcohol, and there's consequences when you're not working. And the longer that we don't encourage work or get Americans back to work, we're going to have a lot of problems. We're going to have just the breakdown of families we're going to have mental health issues. We're going to have addiction issues. 
We're going to have children that are neglected and abused. We're going to have marriages that fall apart. And it's going to become so much harder to just get people back into society and getting that structure. And that's not even like thinking about the impact it's having on these kids, watching their parents not go to work, what that's teaching them, all this yeah, that's, unstructured time. That's a really good point. You know, you, you kind of forget that sometimes that this behavior is modeled. Um, and, you know, I want to make a point that has just occurred to me, and I, and I would love your, your you know, thoughts on this. The, when she told you, why would I go back to work? I make more staying home. That's actually a sound financial decision, right? Um, that's why it's so, in some ways, so bad that the government has created this system where people can make more sitting at home because it does strip them of all the other benefits of work. But you're actually, that's you can't argue with that. You can't say, well, that's a bad choice because if you go and you make less, then you're just getting yeah. in a check from the government. That's a sound financial decision. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's basic economics. I mm -hmm. mean, they're getting paid more to stay at home. And how do you argue with that? And we mm -hmm. made the case, you know, now you have a the state in your life, you're going to, you know, it's, this has been gradually and slowly with a lot of parents, but they're not even realizing the toll this has had on them. And then there's this, you know, by human nature, we procrastinate. We think we have more time. And we've been trying to clearly communicate with the families that we're working with that we don't know. The future is very uncertain. This is an artificial economy. We don't know what's going to look like a month from now, three months from now, but this is the time that they need to be looking for a job and all the really good benefits that come from working. And so it's really hard when, you know, organizations like ours and others across the country who are boots on the ground trying to help families, but then you have really bad policies that are discouraging work. It makes it so difficult for the reason you said to really help these families. Mm -hmm. We're competing right. against government and a lot mm -hmm. of money. Yeah. And so tell me, yes. And it's, and how do you compete against the huge federal government when you're a small nonprofit? You know, you can say, please, but your voice is very small. And so it's, I think it's very important and very good that you're doing what you did, which is you wrote your piece for Manhattan Institute. You're talking to us today. I know you're not alone. Um, and I do think that this has to get out, that people have to hear about it. Um, and I and I think it's important, too, to highlight what your governor in Florida is doing. You, you wrote about that in the piece. Can you talk a little bit about what DeSantis has done? So DeSantis has really just made an effort that we have a labor shortage and we need to get Floridians back to work as quickly as possible. So he's ending the um, insurance bonus at the end of June. And it's really great to see him taking that step along with 22 other governors across the country um, because they're helping us be able to help families and they're doing these steps. They're giving people the time to go ahead and find jobs because there's jobs. There's plenty of jobs. We have mm -hmm. employers that are so desperate to hire. And you have this dangerous narrative that these aren't living wages. You know, you shouldn't take a job if it's minimum wage. You know, a job is a job. And, and I talk about that just, it's so much more than a paycheck. You know, a job can lead to a better job. Um, and there's jobs out there and there's really good paying jobs. And 
that's what, you know, people are missing right now. And you feel so bad for these employers. They were already hurt, a lot of them, by the pandemic. And they're willing to do, you know, sign-on bonuses. They're really, you know, we have employers that work with single moms who, you know, need flexible schedules. Like, that's invaluable if you're a single mom or a single parent. And so there's this lie out there that there's not a living you know, livable wage jobs, but that's a lie. It's not true. We know that there's really great jobs out there. And these bad policies, along with this dangerous narrative, is discouraging work. And we know the consequences of what that looks like. So it's great to see our governor take that step along with all these other governors. And I think it's going to be really telling to see what it looks like in these states, especially once you, you know, six months down the road, 12 months down the road, when you look at mental health, the amount of children going into foster care, um, all these other, you know, consequences of not working, the economy as well, um, is it able to rebound? And that's what we should be focused on. We should be helping Americans rebound and recover from the pandemic. And it's unfortunate that some of these policies on a federal level are doing the opposite. Yeah, it's felt to some of us like it's been an attempt rather than to help people rebound. It's almost been an attempt to prolong the restrictions. Um, and, and I'm not quite sure. And I'm not asking you to comment on that. I'm not sure quite why that would be. I'm going to. I'm going to take them at their word and um, say that it, it has to do with, you know, concerns about virus replication and things like that. Um, but it's it's certainly been uh, damaging to uh, so many sectors of our economy. So I'm thrilled that you're out there talking about it. And um, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. It's such an interesting it's a small uh, element of this, but it's it's huge because we're talking about people, we're talking about lives, and that's what makes up our country, right? The how people uh, contribute, how they live their lives, if they're feeling good about their themselves, if they want to advance, um, that actually is the engine that makes things work, right? So you're doing the tough work. <laughs> so well, thank you. <laughs> we we love doing this work. We love helping families and. As difficult as it's been, it's been really rewarding to see the community really step up in a big way. Um, and we're going to keep doing it. We're going to do it as best as we can and help these families. And we're going to continue to advocate for better policies that encourage work and help our communities become stronger, our families be stronger. So well, I appreciate you letting me come on your um, podcast and just shining a light on this issue and putting kind of a human you know, story attached to this policy issue. Yeah, well, I'm thrilled you came on. Can you tell us uh, like a website or are you on Twitter? Where can people follow you and follow what you're doing? Yeah, our website is www.bettertogetherus.org. Um, and I'm on Twitter um, and I do a lot of writing and it's Miss Megan Lee Rose. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, well, thank you again, Megan, for coming on. That's our show for this week. We encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have already subscribed, thank you very much. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.